Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Stand up and Hello, my name is Dave Hanratty, and there will be no popcorn, and it's an episode all about Rockstar. That's right, you're hearing the incredible sounds there, the amazing strains of Steel Dragon, a fictional band, fictional old-school rock band. And uh, yeah, at the centre of this incredible tale, this is the story of a wannabe who got to be, played by Mark Wahlberg. And that's our main event on this episode. We'll, of course, get to what we've been watching in just a moment. Norma Howard sadly isn't with us here. Uh, she had a meeting that ran on long. I don't know if she's a big Rockstar fan. I don't know if I'm a big Rockstar fan, but I know a big Rockstar man, and his name is David Higgins. Season's greetings to you, Dave. How's things? Oh, man, it's Christmas almost. Yeah, I suppose. Happy holidays? Yeah, weird, we... weird choice of Christmas movie this year, but uh, timing is <laughs> a bit off. <laughs> well, look, listen, we'll try our best. I mean, I'm sure it's a festive occasion in some households. Um, if, you, yeah. if you read the, the YouTube comments, which I have on like lots of the clips for this, like people love this movie. They're like, you know, it's basically like almost famous, then rock star and then everything else. So, yeah, a lot of fans out there. Um, We'll yeah, one of them. <laughs> well, we did the uh, we did the tenth anniversary of Drive on the last episode. This is technically the twentieth anniversary of Rockstar, a film with I'd say just as big as a, of a pop culture footprint. But uh, let's talk about current culture, shall we? What have you been watching lately, David Higgins? Um, I suppose I'll start with the most recent. Um, I watched Lamb this afternoon. Um, this is the Icelandic kind of horror drama starring Numi Rapace and a lamb child um it is directed by valdemar johansson and it's like a really really interesting premise and maybe like a great 
first 30 minutes of a film where, you know, you kind of get introduced to this couple who are kind of living, kind of farming remotely in a very kind of uh, rugged but incredibly beautiful Icelandic terrain. And they're sheep farmers. And then, you know, one day one of uh, their sheep gives birth to a... Uh, half lamb, half baby, who they decide to take in as their own child. And it's uh, an interesting premise. Um, <laughs> sorry, Dave's giving the uh, the metal sign there. I totally missed that. That was a thing to our, do. Our sonic architect, David Toppy, was sneaking a photograph. So I wanted to just make sure that he had the, the correct sentiment going across. Uh, a hell of a time to do it, Toppy. Like the man was talking about Icelandic horror, you know, come on. Yeah, I suppose back to the rock and roll of, uh, you know, half man, half half lamb, I guess. Um, so, yeah, like a really, a really interesting premise, a really interesting setup. And it kind of has some interesting themes in it that you think are going to be explored and go to places like kind of obviously the nature versus nurture. And then there's, you know, a little bit about kind of how people really kind of uh, infantilize their pets these days. For all the people who have fur babies out there. Which uh, I assume is a term that you hate, Dave. Fur babies. Oh, is this? Oh, so it's the thing of personifying your your pet. Y- your it? your pet is an actual child. Yes. It's not a great term. I've heard a lot worse though. I'll let it slide this time. It's Christmas. Yeah. So again, setup's great, but then kind of by the halfway point, it just it doesn't really go anywhere. It kind of shoehorns in a really kind of superfluous uh, subplot with that kind of tries to bring in a love triangle that doesn't involve the the hybrid lamb person. So we're not getting into Adrian Brody bonking the splice territory. P- possibly, unfortunately, it'd probably be a more memorable movie for it. And yeah, it just doesn't really have a lot of depth and kind of seems to exist solely for A24 memes on Twitter, um, which I'm sure there are plenty of. Uh, you know, it's probably the film Twitter icon of the year along with Baby Annette. So a little bit of a disappointment. Uh I move on to another disappointment. Um, Beckett. This is one of these movies that just pops up on the old Netflix, and uh, not a lot of fanfare for this one. But when you, I will describe this movie to you. I don't think you've seen it, have you? It's got John David Washington. So uh, you, taking, you, you, you ruined where I was going with it. But yes, I'm taking it does. my time. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Pretend I didn't say it. So before we get to the John David Washington of it, you know, it's a throwback conspiracy thriller it like it has echoes of the parallax view it has echoes of three days of the condor great films it's shot on actual location in real places in greece it's you know it's real it's wonderful looking it's uh directed by uh fernando cito filo marino who is like the protege of luca guadagnino so he basically has like luca guadagnino's team behind him so it looks immaculate it's got like a great score by uh ryuchi sakamoto it's got Vicky Creeps in it. It's got Alicia Vikander in it. It's got Boyd Holbrook in it. It's like, this movie should be an absolute slam dunk. But we get to the John David Washingtons of it. Mm. Um, he plays the titular Beckett. This is a movie that is with him for its entire 105 minutes. He is attempting to carry this movie with a broken arm across, you know, rugged Greek terrain and... As we've kind of learned before, he can't do it. And while in, say, a movie like Black Klansman, you know, you had someone like Adam Driver in a supporting role that was, for all intents and purposes, like a co-lead. You had Robert Pattinson as a co-lead in Tenet. Here, it's just all John David Washington all the time. 
really, really forgettable. Again, it started great. Like it opens with a really good uh, Blood Orange song. And you're like, okay, like the like all the kind of the taste uh, of this movie should be exquisite, but um, terrible, boring lead. Yeah, uh, so trudges it, it, along. Our problem, I think, the, our, our shared problem with John David Washington is that like he just ha- he hasn't done it for me. I've yet to get it. I mean, he's clearly like you know. Um, uh, handsome man i don't know i mean but like and not even it's not even like a oh like thinking about his dad the entire time like it doesn't really come to mind for me like the it doesn't either it's just separated entirely but i I just don't i don't get it and i've seen him in tenet which i did not like i didn't like him in it malcolm and marie which is fucking garbage i didn't like black clansman at all um i just he like he really his presence really doesn't excite me and i wish it did but so is it just more of that here yeah it's more of that and i guess like i kind of feel that um, Hollywood is just trying to make him happen. I mean, there, there, they do there need is, stars. There is, yeah, we do need stars, and there's a an, an enormous dirt to them, and it has been kind of an issue for a long time. But um, kind of force feeding them on us isn't really going to do it. Um, and one other movie, um, I went to an actual cinema to see this, which was a nice experience. I hadn't been in a while. I went to see Spencer. Um, this is Pablo Lorraine's. Um, Fable based on a true tragedy uh, about Princess Diana. It is set over three days in uh, Sandringham Manor. I'm very, very happy to report that Spencer is in the Christmas canon. Mm-hmm. It is set over Christmas Eve, Christmas Day and Stephen's Day. Boxing and Day over there, I presume, yes. Yes, Boxing Day. My apologies <laughs> to the royal family. Um, yeah, this com- like immediately... Com- I, I think I don't think I think I maybe I watched the trailer. I don't even think I actually did watch the trailer. I'd looked at like some of the images and I was like, you know, I love Jackie. I think Pablo Lorraine's really interesting. Great cast. Johnny Greenwood's doing the score. Kind of have an idea what this movie's going to be. Um, and I'm totally fine with that. Basically, from like the opening strains of the Johnny Greenwood score, I was expecting like the big, lush, romantic Phantom Thread, uh, you know, orchestral movements. And immediately, it's like jazzy, it's smoky, it sounded like Alberto Iglesias' score for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I was like, this isn't what I was expecting. The movie itself, in stark contrast to something like The Crown, which is incredibly bright and polished, is like really, really grainy. It's like foggy all the time. It's desaturated. Um, It's got an incredible look. And just in terms of, you know reference points when you're kind of watching the movie. I think we've all uh, watched Shiva Baby and we all did not like Shiva Baby because of what it was trying to do, where it was trying to like manufacture this like really, really intense heightened situation, um, true use of like Greenwood-esque kind of strings, like stabbing and like really intense kind of close-up camera work and editing. But at the end of the day, you didn't really care about the lead um, and her whatever zoomer problems while here you have a tragic figure um basically cast against you know the royal family at christmas in a place she doesn't want to be essentially trapped in a castle um kind of losing her mind a little bit and there's some really 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 overt references to the shining which is just not what you're expecting um yeah it's kind of really really frantic um but it does allow quite lovely moments between um, Diana and the two kids who play William and Harry. 
Um, yeah, just overall, just blew me away. Uh, There's two words you haven't said yet. I'm, like, I was just about to say, <laughs> case two. <laughs> Kristen Stewart. Is fantastic. And I think why she's great in this is that um, I know you're a fan of Personal Shopper. Or I'm a fan of Personal Shopper. She's really good at insular anxiety. Like, she's never going to be someone who dominates a scene in terms of just, like, being big in a scene. And she basically kind of just, like, disappears inside herself in times of this movie. Um, and she's remarkable. But then she does get these very touching moments with the with the boys and even kind of has one slightly kind of acerbic, you know, blow to blow with um, Prince Charles. But yeah, just really, really good. Um, the score overall is like there's points at, in the in the film where I was just so joyed at how good Johnny Greenwood is and what he was doing in it. It's like he's he's got like the full tools where you know he's pulling the harpsichord out. He's getting the organs going. It's just like it's a joy. Um, highly recommend it. Dancing, what about you, Dave? Dancing in your seat. Um, well, for me, I've caught up on some new stuff as well. Um, so you spoke in the last episode about the Last Jewel, Ridley Scott's Matt Damon, Adam Driver, Jodie Comer epic, and it was a film I'd gone from being very not interested in to all of a sudden really wanting to see. I think your review kind of helped with that. So it dropped on Disney Plus there. Um, after, you know, bombing at the box office, of course, we all know that millennials and their smartphones uh, made sure that it didn't do well, uh, as opposed to the release strategy of putting it out in the same day as Venom 2 and Halloween Kills, which, of course, had nothing to do with that. Um, and I wish I had seen it in the cinema, for sure, because, like, as you noted, the jewel itself is incredible, um, and proof that Ridley still got it when he wants to. Uh, I thought it was good. I thought it was, at times, very good. And I think if it's intentional in its kind of construction, I think it's maybe the strongest horror film of the year. It's so unrelentingly bleak and horrible and just there's no sense of... Uh, the film ends on a note that certainly points to a character who, quote-unquote, has some class of victory, but, like, it's so pyrrhic and it's... Like, I, I genuinely, like, walked away from my TV screen after the two and a half hours just feeling quite sad. I was like, this is miserable. And in that respect, if that's meant to be the intention, well then fucking well done. And, you know, some of the more horrific elements, which I've seen people debate over uh, about, you know, gratuity and just kind of depiction. But I thought, no, I think they're trying to show you the horror of this and in, in an effective way. Performances are amazing. Uh, you had singled out Jodie Comer, who's absolutely brilliant in it. Everyone's great. Uh, and Ben Affleck, of course, is in fact having the time of his life. Uh, recommended. But yeah, it's really like you need about three showers afterwards. Like it's very, very nasty and gritty and grim. Um, I stuck with uh, Ridley Scott and his, his follow-up project that arrived shortly afterwards. I went to see House of Gucci, in the cinema and my god i mean it's two and a half hours long as well but i felt like i was in cinema for a full day i thought it was never going to end i did not like this film at all i thought it was just i mean i I had avoided all the press materials apart from just seeing still images here and there hadn't seen a trailer from my understanding the trailer sells you a bit of a different film it sells you this kind of very trashy like you know up-tempo thing and i just found it so leaden uh, I thought it was really, really dull. You uh, often give out about obvious needle drops. And I remember you like coming at my beloved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for this. I quite like the needle drops there. The needle drops in this film are outrageous. It's just, hey, do you know that 80s song? Well, here's 25 of them. Um, Lady Gaga is really bad in this film. 
They're talking about her as an Oscar contender, and she's shockingly terrible in this. I thought she was very good in A Star is Born, which was also a TV movie with a budget, much like this one. But there's a moment in particular late on in the film where she's like... Uh, she looks like fucking Rizzo from Greece and she's basically sitting there and like she's meant to be inferring like you know toughness and bitterness and just like you know something approaching evil basically and I've never seen an actor act more scrunching up her face I can't get this moment out of my head because I was just like I can't believe that this was the take she's clearly a talented performer she's been a talented performer on screen before but uh, this was just muck Um, Adam Driver's fine if miscast everyone looks great they're all wearing incredible clothes uh, at least Al Pacino and Jared Leto are bringing some life to it with their ridiculous performances. Like, I'll take it. So who wins the... The ham battle. Know, the ham rumble between them and Jeremy Irons. <laughs> uh, Leto, I think. Irons yeah. is kind of subdued, um, to I'm be honest. I'm disappointed in Jeremy Irons. He's fine, but he doesn't really go big. Um, I'm sure people have seen clips and stuff. Jared Leto is just sing-songing his way around this, doing some kind of Super Mario impression. And Al Pacino is just going big every now and then. And, like, look, fuck it. Like, I was like, look, at least this is happening. Because even the way, like, I think it's Darius Wolski shoots it, everything's dimmed. Everything, like, it's just, like, the contrast is turned down. And it's like, fine, that's an artistic choice. And it can work. Like, Fincher's Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, for example. But, like, here, I just didn't think anything fit. And also, do you ever watch a film and, like, you kind of know early on and you're just like, especially when it opens with like a flashback to a pivotal moment that they're going to fill in later on. You're kind of sitting there and you're like, oh, that's, we're so far away from that happening. You're just like, it's, it's, oh God, it's like, like, like just doing the, the maths in your head when you're like, I bet there's an hour left. Jesus. So People he, seem to like this film. I think it's very bad. So you use the same uh, framing device as The Last Jewel. Pretty much, but thankfully it's not quite as Rashomon-y, because at least in The Last Duel, I found that compelling. But here, oh God, I, this is like torture. It's so endless. And just, it didn't feel worthy at all. It was like, this doesn't feel like it's worth making. A Netflix series, certainly, but no, bad. And I, you know, given the, you know, late career promise that he showed with The Last Duel, I hope he gets this out of his system pretty quickly. Fair play to him. Like, I can't believe he's still working at his rate at his age it's unbelievable but i fucking hated this film um i guess wrapping up real quick we'll probably talk about other stuff in another episode but like one thing that that did stand out quite brilliantly was the 72 minute uh petite maman the follow-up by uh, celine scama am i pronouncing that correctly she of course directed portrait of lady on fire which we both love and this is her follow-up movie and it's funny because it's like I don't know what the art house equivalent of a blank check is, but I have to assume she could have made whatever she wanted after that film's success. And here she has made this incredibly small, clearly pandemic drama because there's like four people in it. Um, And it's about uh, a young girl. I think she's like nine or ten or something, uh, maybe even younger. Uh, Her grandmother dies and her father is like clearing out the house. Her mother's kind of estranged and while she's there she meets this little girl who is who looks strikingly like her and has her mother's name and there's some kind of strange atmosphere going on and it's very it you know in different hands this could be a very heavy handed sci-fi film or something but like that's kind of incidental like there's a moment where there's a pivotal line about what's really going on but it's very ambiguous at the same time and it's kind of like if you missed it you'd miss it like you could miss it in in the cinema it's not really like honed in on that much and it's just a showcase for um, these two incredible child actresses whose name names unfortunately escape me right now. Uh, Higgs might look it up while I'm while I'm riffing here. I don't know, but 
Uh, two of the best child actor performances I've ever seen. I was completely drawn in by this thing. I thought it was absolutely beautiful. It managed to say so much about love, grief, emotion, loss, hope. Uh, just a very life-affirming thing. In like, like I say, in 72 minutes than other films have not been able to manage in three hours total. So um, as far as I'm concerned, this director has a lifetime pass and it's just a beautiful film. Strangely enough, it didn't make me cry, but I kind of feel like maybe it would on a second viewing. And uh, um, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing this and shout outs to Josephine and Gabrielle Sands. They are outstanding. I don't I don't think they've acted before, certainly not in a film, uh, not that I'm aware of. And I mean, it's just brilliant it was just like a lovely film simultaneously weightless and also full of all the stuff i just mentioned like and it just i i it was i i almost was annoyed when it was over even though i knew i was going into a short shorter film um it flew and i like and, and in fairness like a 17 minute film could drag like it's not a guarantee that you're like oh this will be over before i know but it kind of was over before i know it. and i kind of had the moment at the end when i was like oh no they're holding the shot this could be the end oh it is oh and i was like okay fine it's wonderful i thought it was Fantastic. Easily one of the films of the year. No greater compliment from Mr. Tight 90 than it could have been longer. It could have been longer. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. But a film that couldn't have been longer, I think, uh, is 2001's Rockstar. I think it's about two hours. Uh, David Tapley is here with us to to play some clips for us. So, uh, Tapley, if you could, can we have the trailer for this, no doubt, classic. You know what the sickest thing is about you, little man? You fantasize about being somebody else, singing somebody else's songs. Oh, maybe if I get really lucky, I'll get to grow up and listen to Air Supply and wear jackboots like you. What's wrong with Air Supply? We're tired of just being a cover band. We started this because we love playing Dragon Tunes. You're gone, man. Am I being kicked out of the group that I started? Let's go. Hello. This is Kurt Cuddy. I play in a band called Steel Dragon. Ricky, you know your English accent is almost as lame as your guitar playing? Well, I can't do much about the accent. What do you suggest to do about my playing? Who is this? We're auditioning for a new lead singer. The good Lord has given you a hell of a voice. Do you want the gig then? You know, I'm just a regular guy who grew up with the posters of these guys on my walls. And now I'm one of them! He's a rock star now. The normal rules don't apply. Yeah, nothing says regular guy like Mark Wahlberg. Um, so per and there's there's moments in that trailer, but there's these two big moments in the trailer that are just not in the film. But uh, per the official synopsis here, uh, Chris by day Chris repairs copiers. By night he fronts a heavy metal tribute band. His wildest dreams come true after band members of the group he's been emulating ask him to replace their lead singer. Chris rockets from rock fan to rock god. <laughs> Can you elaborate upon that, Dave Higgins? Um. Not really. Uh, there's not a lot to this movie. Uh, its background is a very, very short one. Um, it's kind of based on Judas Priest is is basically what we're dealing with here. Um, at some stage, uh, the iconic front man of Judas Priest, uh, Rob Halford, left the band. And then they basically, after a couple of years, filled uh, the Rob Halford-shaped void with a guy named Tim Ripper Owens, who was in a Judas Priest cover band called British Steel. So I think there was a big profile of this guy, I'm assuming at some stage in the 90s, uh, just after he joined, it got, you know, sold. Someone wrote a script and it was just like, oh, we'll kind of do this like rags to riches story. And then it kind of just morphed into sort of that story, but also not really. Um, 
well, I suppose one of the interesting things to jump off with at this, it's called Rockstar. Um, they, they are very much a metal band. Um, <laughs> it was at one stage called Metal God, but everything about this movie is trying to pull the wool over your eyes. I think Metal God is a better title. It's a much better title, um, including the poster. Can you describe the poster for this movie? <laughs> you lo- you're obsessed with the poster for this movie. It's just so, that it's like the poster of this movie well, is essentially it is it, and it the isn't. last five minutes of the yeah, film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like it does <laughs> technically like actually have a place in the iconography, but only in the last five minutes. Um, so you got Rockstar written in like terrible font, like very ad agency, like you know, kind of Rolling Stone, and then you got Mark Wahlberg whose hair appears to be auburn and long and kind of like in a ponytail, and he's walking what appears to be down, like down a highway, presumably. Uh, carrying a guitar behind him wearing kind of like you know almost fatigues or something and it looks for all the world like a lifetime movie about eddie vedder or something and yet in this film he's in a band called well he's in a tribute band called blood pollution which leads him to the band steel dragon and it's very iron maidenly isn't it it's all big hair metal dominic west is clearly a stand-in for brian may in this thing his hair is the size of a fucking building but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Why don't we just take a little taster of how this film begins? So we get this kind of throwback thing where Mark Wahlberg's character is looking back on the days of being a rock star. So we get him kind of reminiscing about this on a park bench and it takes us into the practice room of his tribute band before all his dreams came true. Those days were amazing, you know. Being a kid, you know, what else was I to do but to live the dragon, you know? I mean, I'd study the music note for note. I read every interview, copied every outfit, every move. You know, every look. And um, I think basically, you know, my pursuit of perfection was relentless because I think at that stage the music deserved that. I have no idea what you're talking about. Check it out. Play it like that. That's it. That's a ping, not a squeal, man. Sounds just like the tape, man. No, raunchier. Again, please. That was great. Thank you. I gotta say, it's fascinating watching David Tapley react to these clips because he hasn't seen the film. <laughs> so <laughs> he appears to be enjoying himself. Um, that clip is good, though, because it does a couple of things. Uh, it takes us into the practice room. It gives us a couple of lines from Timothy Oliphant's Rob. He's in the band. He's the guitarist who Mark Wahlberg is honing in on there, being like, hey, do it better. We love Timothy Oliphant, of course, on this program and in life. But also, it gives you an insight into Mark Wahlberg's Chris here, and he's a bit of a fucking control freak, isn't he, Higgs? Yeah, one hundred percent for a for a lead vocalist. And one thing, uh, obviously, uh, listeners can't see this opening clip. I wish that Chris uh, was a bit of a control freak in the production of this movie. It has a typo in the um, in the location card. What's it's it like say? Pittsburgh, the eighties, but eighties is possessive. Eighty. Oh no! <laughs> it's like okay, we're in we're in a safe pair of hands uh, here. The safe hands of was it Stephen Stephen Herrick, director Stephen of Herrick, director our of second Bill, Bill our and second, Ted's yes. Excellent Adventure, and of course the recent Bill and Ted. Is that right? 
Um, I don't know. You know, he didn't direct a new one, but we've now covered two Stephen Herrick movies while Martin Chris, Martin Scorsese is still waiting for the call. Uh, <laughs> Terrence Malick's still waiting for the call. Brian De Palma still waiting for hey, the listen, call. Hey, listen, man, Stephen Herrick brings uh, rampant homophobia to his movies. So, you know, we had to get that in there. And like, in fairness, there's plenty of that in this, but I guess it's thrown away with a, it was the 80s type hand wave. Um, and of course, big tough guy Mark Wahlberg would never be caught up doing such things. Um, yeah, I mean, how would you describe this the, this tribute band, by the way? Um, I yeah, I don't know. There, there. I find the whole uh, tribute band world very strange, um, and the fact that. Wahlberg's character Chris is like going to the Steel Dragon shows is like right at the front dressed like exactly the same as the lead singer Bobby Beers but probably in better shape is like singing along to all the songs is yeah it's 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 like it's alarming behavior I guess he invented, you know it, there's, there's one thing to be he invented cosplay one of many things he invents in this film yes that's true um yeah, it, his his relationship or his kind of obsession with with Steel Dragon is borderline insane. Like <laughs> you know, later on when he eventually gets to talk to uh, Kirk Cuddy, and you know he's like thinking about joining the band. He's like, "I sent you flowers when your dog died." <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "I know everything about you," and it's like you're going to get single white mailed by this dude. Uh, walk away. So he's very yeah, emotional. I don't, like, I don't think it flies, like he flies off the handle a lot in this thing. He does, and the one thing I suppose also in this in this opening clip, it's and maybe for the first like twenty five minutes, it's hard not to think of Boogie Nights watching this. Um, you know, this comes like a couple of years after Boogie Nights, a far the, uh, far inferior film. I think we can all of course yeah. yes, <laughs> but you know, for all intents and purposes. Uh, Chris Cole is very much in the Dirk Diggler mold uh, of this like handsome yum young not yum well yum. maybe a bit yum as well. <laughs> well, you know, he's wearing uh, a lot of leather in this is, thing. You know? It's true. He looks great, but it's it's immediately like you know it it opens with a shot that's kind of like aping the the Boogie Nights like tracking shot, but this one's like a bit more gritty, a bit more raw. It's going through like a porno theater, and you're like going through an air vent into to see them but yeah i don't know well i don't know where do we go from here that's a really good question um <laughs> because the film it kind of moves at a clip in a way i mean like it appears young chris is destined for greatness you know he's working a dead-end job his family are quite supportive apart from his brother who's a cop there's some kind of weird you know early like fascist look at the police but the but the cop character just tends to be kind of bad comic relief his his brother is a literal keystone cop he's got like keystone cops on his uh, his badge <laughs> and he's like, get a real job. I think he's trying to get him into the force, is he possibly? Or maybe I'm, I'm confusing that with Cuffs, the Christian Slater film I watched recently. Um, but yeah, it's just very much like his parents are quite supportive and he's playing with his band. Life appears to be good. Jennifer Aniston is his girlfriend slash the manager of the band. Uh, that's about as much characterization as she'll get in the course of this film. Initially, it looks like she's going to be an interesting character, but not really. Um, and essentially, yeah, as you mentioned, like they go to see a Steel Dragon show Wahlberg's up the front, and he's kind of almost outdoing Bobby Beers, played by Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels legend Jason Fleming. Um, things clearly come to head with the Steel Dragon band behind the scenes. We will find out why. But things also come to a head at a blood pollution show when, uh, again, live on stage, Wahlberg keeps giving out to Tim the Oliphant for how he's playing. Oliphant 
does he goes too hard or something and he's like you're not playing the songs like this is supposed to be played and it's very like you're meant to be a fucking rock star i appreciate like you know diligence but it's a bit like what the fuck is this and so they have a big row which leads to the inevitable because you have to have the the conflict for the hero so let's take you back into that practice room and this is right after uh the the band have unanimously voted to fire poor chris cole no, I don't even think I'm coming back. I don't. Yeah, well, that's because I'm not. Yeah. Look, I'm serious. If I leave now, I'm not coming back. Did you just Shut say that? up, Bradley. Last time. Emily. Look, I talked to the guys, and if you still want to manage us, I mean, it's okay with us. Rob, I'm a businesswoman. And rule number one in this business is you go where the talent is. And all the fucking talent that was in this band has just left the room. Yeah, you tell him, Jen. Uh, an F-bomb from Jennifer Aniston. Big business back in 2001, I would think. His friend's still on the air. But uh, that's pretty much Tim the Elephant out of the movie, for the most part, until the end of it. And, yeah, so essentially, like, you know, where's he going to go? What's going to happen? It all comes together. Uh, how does he end up replacing his idol Higgs? How would you say that this is handled in the film? Sensitively? Uh, very quickly. <laughs> and, pretty fast, uh, yeah. Yeah, so basically... The, the boys in Steel Dragon are not happy with Bobby Beers. And instead of like seemingly having the band meeting that Blood Pollution have to tell him that he's leaving, they're just like, no, we'll just like fly in a bunch of people to audition for your for your position in the band while you're still living in this mansion in LA. And you can they're just presumably like, like a very successful band. So this they're, they're feels... clearly massive. They're playing like arena shows, um, mm. you know, certainly at the start. So. Um, so anyway, they they bring in they bring in Wahlberg and they get him to audition. His audition is not great. No, like it's he, pretty bad. You know, he he takes two or three goes to you know actually sing the song, and then they're like, "Well, I think we got our guy. That's that." Um, that's actually yeah. No, uh, let's take a listen to the audition. So yeah, he he flubs it a couple of times, and like Dominic West is kind of giving him a hard time. Uh, sorry, and I should mention that, like when I said, like is it handled sensitively? There's, there's a kind of, a, and this I presume is a Judas Priest reference, um, and not a very good one. Where like when Fleming's character comes in, he's like, "You're firing me, are you?" And they're like, "Oh, Bobby, man, like you know, it's just a group decision, yada, it's not working out." And he's like, "It's because I'm gay, isn't it?" And they're like, "What?" And it's a big like, and Mark Wahlberg's standing around, and he's like, "You're gay," and it's all like, Whoa. and then like he takes off his wig, and it's all, it's, it's all very like played for laughs and kind of like. I don't know. I don't know what they were trying to get. Like it's two thousand one. I don't know what they were trying I to get. I got across. the impression that it was just that he was like really unreliable, and because like Dominic West has line, they're like, "We don't care about that. Yeah, um, we love you, but you're an absolute fuck up. Um, you can't be depended upon. We want Mark Wahlberg." Well, we all want Mark Wahlberg. You did get Zach Wilde, though, being like, I don't care what you do with your pecker, just keep it away from me. It's way. <laughs> but yeah, like I don't think it was like borderline horrific, but it was kind of like, ah, I don't know, does that need to be there? Anyway, uh, they're auditioning people, including Mark Wahlberg. He's, he's, at, he's at the microphone. Dominic West's giant hair is behind the screen. He's losing a bit of patience. And here's how it sounds. We're wasting our time here. 
So, sorry, would it be okay if I was, um, could I start it one more time? All right, yeah, go again. Sorry about that. Of course, of course, like uh, <laughs> Dominic West turns around and he's like, whoa, Timothy Spall, the manager, the rest of the band, they're all like, whoa. And it's like, Tapley has pointed out here that that guitar line is very incubus. Um, I guess that's probably a fair show because I wanted to ask you, Higgs. I mean, that, the song that he's doing here is called We All Die Young and it's terrible, right? Oh, it's garbage. Uh, just to, to, to come back to our good friend Tapley, I feel like maybe... You know, for for the the Patreon subscribers, that you could get like a Tapley reacts to <laughs> Rockstar clips. Just release the uh, the Zoom audio here for for everyone. Um, not a bad idea. Yeah, no, this song is absolutely dire. Um, Terrible. I'm not getting Incubus really. Um, it's just hair metal. Um, it's it's not a it's not a genre I pay a lot of attention to. Um, thankfully, there's not many movies about. It. I know we like briefly did the dirt before and kind of dipped our toes in a bit, but um, I'd happily this, ignore most of it. Is this one meant to be like a ballad? Is this meant to be you know the sensitive song? Because it's a bit like I, I'm trying to imagine like hard lads rocking out to this thing, and I'm like, it takes its fucking time to get to. Oh like yeah, that. I mean, when you get to the concert later on, particularly someone like Zach Wild, who's like this mountain of hair who like rocking around like he can't really get into this when you're kind of just <laughs> even on, on the bass you're kind of you'd be grooving along with it um but yeah like it's, it's almost it's almost prog in places and you're just like what the hell like you presume on the record like this song would be seven minutes long and would have like four choruses <laughs> you're just like, oh yeah do it like, again four minute intro but I, I, this is probably the good time to ask are steel dragon a good band no <laughs> Are Judas okay. Priest a good band? No. <laughs> uh, we got a few priest heads listening to this. You never know. You know the priesthood. Um, you're welcome. Uh, thanks for listening. But uh, yeah, no, not a not a great band. Um, yeah, like the one thing that kind of I can't wrap my head around. I've seen this movie twice now. I watched it the first time and was like just laughing throughout it. Is it actually a comedy? Um, because there there are elements, there are lots of elements about this, particularly like, you know, the way it's edited, the way it's blocked, some of the like kind of giant man-child stuff that's going on, like particularly like the interplay between um, Wahlberg and Oliphant when he's getting kicked out of the band. Like Mark Wahlberg is good at doing comedy. Like I, I'm thinking of him like put him against Will Ferrell and like the back and forth is 
is genuinely good. But it feels like the director and maybe the writer were like, yeah, maybe this is a comedy, but that didn't tell a lot of people who were in the movie. So like some people are playing it very just down the middle and not in a kind of like, I'm playing the straight man role here while everyone else is like chaotic around me. Um, I can't, I can't get my head around it because it's either a comedy that clearly has no idea that like a movie Spinal Tap exists um, or it's like it's bordering on and I hate this comparison but like the room level of like heightened just nonsense. I think it's a drama. I think it's a sensitive drama. I think it's a rags to riches story. It's a careful what you wish for type thing. I think it's certainly but it's 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 clearly light and it was if you look at the, the trailer that you heard and even the way it's packaged the way the film looks it's clearly meant to be light Sunday afternoon entertainment or Friday night at the movies type thing. Maybe after you go see a Judas Priest gig, you know, have a hell of a night. But like, I don't think it's wandering around as an arch comedy. I don't think it's meant to be. I mean, I guess maybe it's a satire to a degree, but I think it's meant like it's meant to be respectful, I would think, of its subject matter. No, certainly. Yeah. And like, again, not to go back to the uh, the YouTube comments, but like there's there's people that like this kind of like like this music that love this movie. And clearly to them, it's not disrespecting it. But I think like, you know, the songs are the songs. Like the, the the songs aren't trying to take the piss. Like the songs are, for the most part, performed by people that are in this genre. It's just kind of the structuring around it and the way it's um, like even to like that, the Keys, Keystone Cop joke, like it's like that's a clearly a, a choice where someone's like, oh, well, this would be a hilarious psych gag. Um, you know, it's not hilarious, but it is an attempt at a gag. Um and it kind of it it goes on like it's it's borderline farcical at times. Um, you know, even his I know I guess maybe it's it's supposed to actually be uh, serious, but like you know when he finally joins the band and like he takes the the tumble off the stage and it's at the first gig yeah, like it's an, like, a, like an incredible pratfall. Um, it, which is, yeah, so it's like he joins the band, he gets like like. Dominic West is like, you want a gig then, do you? And like gives him the job. He's ushered into the band. They rechristen him. They call him Izzy. And there's a press conference in which at first he's doing an English accent, but then he just slips back into American one and they make like a hilarious gag about how he got his voice. And it's all like, oh, you know, when I was in the choir and like West is like, he got it from eating pussy, mate. Yay. And then it's like, hey, and it's just like class, man. But like, and then, and then, but then again, just to to cut to the, the comedy, you have like, this cutback for to his dad watching the press conference with the entire entire family there, and he's like, like father, like son, <laughs> it's like Jesus Christ. And Jennifer Aniston's like, you know, I'm gonna make an honest man out of you, and it's like, you know, it's meant to be like, you know, lots of guys on dates here, you know, in the cinema in 2001, not knowing what to say. But like, it cuts to the first show, and everything appears to be triumphant. There's a small section in the crowd of you know Bobby Beer's stands i guess or like loyalists who are like truthers if you will who are like not gonna accept this new guy even though he looks the same as the old guy he's wearing the same clothes all that kind of stuff but he learned all the moves so it's fine cuts back to his his blood pollution pals watching on tv and there's a bit where like it comes across and like uh you, you expect timothy elephant's character to like you know kick the television in but he but a wry smile goes up in his face because he's like yeah fair play to him he made it but he doesn't fully make it at first does he because he he's walking down this set of stairs and he like tri- he, he he misplaces his footing, and he fucking oh my god! It's like a Jeff Hardy swanton bomb onto the stage, isn't it? It's brutal. I'm glad that you brought up wrestling because, uh, well, of course, Norm's not here, so we, we we're going to talk we're about wrestling. Yeah. But yeah, even even the the blood, the crimson mask. I was I was actually <laughs> had in my notes here, Tommy Dreamer. 
<laughs> I could see him coming out to a Steel Dragon song, but he manages to recover because, like, the film, like, it, like it slows down. It goes into this weird kind of blurred vision, and you think, "Fuck, it's done. They're gonna kick him out. Like, it's over. He's a failure." But he manages to just break it off, start the song back, ignore the concussion, ignore the ignore the ignore the concussion and the gushing of blood. Man needs medical attention, but he's here to rock, and this is what that sounds like. Just every hair metal cliche you can think of. Let's talk about the casting of this thing from top to bottom, shall we? Um, Wahlberg, and we, we, we've touched on him quite a bit, but like, I mean, do you find him like sympathetic in this role? Do you find him interesting? Do you root for him? Um, early doors, maybe a little bit, because again, he's basically just doing kind of, uh, you know, pound shop, Dirk Diggler. And like, he's, he's good at someone being in a state of arrested development, someone just being kind of like, a young idiot who's bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. Um, I don't think he he handles, maybe much like in real life, success very well. Um, <laughs> but and I don't I don't really see him as like the rock god. Like when this was kind of brought out, everyone was like, "Oh, like Mark Wahlberg is the is the rapper." Um, so not really at all. And then when he's brought to like a place where he needs to be sincere and he as you said like becomes Eddie Vedder at the end it's just like this is like it's so jarring um it makes no sense at all I know that like Brad Pitt was uh hovering around this and dodged this bullet <laughs> wonderfully he, he he threw his then wife in front of the bullet <laughs> it's like <laughs> you be in this um yeah no he's not he's not great um I don't I just doesn't really make a lot of sense for him even though he apparently loved this movie he's got a weird relationship with his movies like he he he's like he's basically said he's ashamed of boogie nights but what in an interview with um a renowned uh griller of the celebrities mario lopez um, i have this <laughs> i have this exact clip shall we hear it mario lopez of saved by the bell fame did in fact get some gold. Let's hear it. But despite the hometown connection, Spencer Confidential was not Mark's favorite movie to film, as I found out when I surprised him with a round of rapid fire questions. Most fun you've ever had on a set? Oh, Rockstar, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> movie that you've seen the most? Movie that I've seen the most? Godfather, probably. Celebrity crush growing up? Uh, a couple of those girls on your show. Hey. <laughs> no follow-up to why did you have so much fun making Rockstar, Mark? It's it's almost like Mario Lopez is not a <laughs> in-depth journalist. Can we just wind it back, though? He, this Boogie Nights thing, I think I've seen this before. Did he say, like, I hope God will forgive me for this movie? And did, did Julianne Moore apparently allegedly say he should be thanking God for that movie because it made his career? What's the, what's the issue here? I think he... Yeah, I think... He's kind of one of these people who turns to God a lot and says he's a, you know, church-going Christian. Uh, 
despite doing some pretty awful stuff in his life. Um, and, and making films like Ted 2. It's, it's like Daddy's Home. Like, it's not, like, like you're not, like, it's, he's not, what? This is so strange. You think, Boogie Nights is just 2X rated, is it? Yeah, I guess, like, him and, uh, him and Burt Reynolds. Well, I think Burt Reynolds came around on it because he was just like, he hated it while he was doing it. And then he's like, oh, I'm relevant again. But, yeah, I mean, Wahlberg's a weird guy. You've seen his training regime, haven't you? Um, oh, this is the I get up at four in the morning. Uh, yeah, uh, no, like all no, kinds no, of. Sorry, Dave, not not four in the morning. Half two in the morning. <laughs> wakes, wakes up at half two, and then by quarter to three, prayer time, and then he's you know crushing a workout for an hour and a half at <laughs> half three in the morning. It's a, it's actually incredible. I'm looking at it here. Sorry, I don't. Oh, please take us take us through it. I, it's been uh, a while since I've since I've two thirty. Wake up two forty five prayer time. Three fifteen. So thirty minutes of prayer. Uh, breakfast breakfast at 3.15 uh, first workout of the day 20 to 4 until quarter past 5 um, post workout meal at half 5 so that's his second meal of the day if anyone's counting 6am uh, shower 7.30 for half an hour golf what kind of golf can you play in half an hour indoor golf um, crazy golf 8am snack third meal of the day uh, at half nine, he does an hour of a cryo chamber <laughs> recovery <laughs> followed by another snack that's the, what are we at? Fourth. Four? Yeah. Uh, 11 a.m. He finally says hello to his family, family time. Um, but he has to share family time with meetings and work calls. Uh, he has an hour lunch at one o'clock. Then he has uh, more we- meetings at two o'clock, work calls. 3 p.m. Sees the kids, picks them up from school, has another snack at half three. Uh, workout number two comes at four o'clock, followed by another shower. Terrible for your skin, Mark, and also the environment. Um, 5.30, dinner slash family time. Um, this man spends so much more time eating than he does with his family. And it's seven meals. Then he turns, turns in at 7.30 p.m. so he can get up again at 2.30 a.m., do it all again. This is, but like, what is he, like, surely if he's making a film or if he's on, like, on location, I'm assu- this has to- I'm assuming this is, you know, his ideal world when he's not making a movie. This is this is what he does. So yeah, kind of strange dude. Uh, very very weirdly cast in this movie. Like I mean, all the fans in this movie, I think he would have been a lot of fun in the lead. Yeah, I know he wasn't, he wasn't quite there at yeah, the time. He, He'd had go and first wives club, I guess. But you know, he wasn't there. Sixty seconds, of course. Yeah. Um, Scream two. He'd had at that point as well. He's on the rise, but he, he's never been the A list guy. But hang on, sorry. One last thing on this Mark Wahlberg daily routine: no time to watch a movie. There apparently not a big movie buff. I guess. Apart from yeah, where Godfather. are you watching the Godfather, Mark? It's a long movie. Yeah, you know, he's, yeah. you're going to have to cut out at least two or three snacks, and maybe the cryo <laughs> chamber. Maybe you can watch the Godfather in the cryo chamber. You can probably get prayer time down to about five six minutes. I'd say maybe if you're really kind of. I mean, this. I'm looking at the prayer time, and I'm thinking, yeah, you, you, again. Can you pray in the shower? Can you half pray an in hour, the chamber? Half an hour seems excessive, but I don't know. I'm not a religious man. Uh, the rest of the cast, Jennifer Aniston's okay, I suppose. Doesn't have a lot to do. But I, I couldn't shake the, you know, TV star in the movie yeah. thing. Nobody, for her, basically the entire run of Friends, like she made a lot of movies, a lot of rom-coms, and nobody really kind of figured out what to do with her. She's good early in the movie when she kind of is like, she kind of has some like zinger lines, you know, like there's that, that early scene where they meet the other Steel Dragon um, cover band. Oh, and they have like, they have this standoff. That's basically like the scene in Anchorman where all the news crews kind of come together and they're all kind of just like, 
you know, having really petty insults against each other, the other band being a bit grossly homophobic. But then she like completely cuts down their lead singer. And it's like, oh yeah, she's good. Like she is a very good comedic actress, but kind of as it, the movie goes on and it kind of tries to be a little bit more serious, it's just like, oh, I mean, you know, she was getting paid how much every episode of Friends. It's like, did you really need to ice Mark Wahlberg's nipples and pierce them? <laughs> What a scene. Very graphic. Um, he doesn't really turn evil, though. He he just becomes neglectful. Like, like I don't think forgetful. there's a scene... He forgetful. Yeah. He forgets that he's in Seattle, famously. He forgets the city he's in, yeah. But, like, they do part for a while. But, like, I don't think there's a scene where, like, you know, she opens the door and he's going down on someone. Or, like, you know, it's more like... He's just, it's not working and they agree to split up for a while. Like It's, it's, it's very taste or chase. Yeah, they, they, I mean, there's, there's, there's uh, another, I mean, there's some absolutely all-timer hilarious attempts at candid eroticism in this movie. Uh, the <laughs> aforementioned nipple piercing scene. And then later on, it's, it's after the first, after, it's after his first show with Steel Dragon. It's like, we're all going backstage and his family his mother, his father, his brother, the cop are all at the show and they all get ushered backstage. And it's like, oh, we're going to a club. And then Relaxed by Frankie Goes to Hollywood comes over the, the PA. And if anyone has seen Brian De Palma's body double, they know that things are going to get a little weird. <laughs> and the, it just like devolves into this kind of like mass orgy scene in this club where... Chris's parents are present. Um, and again, like this but is... they're into it. Yeah, they, well, they're kind of, I guess, a small town. They're just like, oh, whatever, you know? Well, I mean, I mean, we know a lot about Chris's dad already from what he said earlier, so... Um, and then, yeah, you're, you're, you're putting Jennifer Anderson in this situation. Like, it's not a... It's not a funny... It, like, it's funny in how bad it is, but, like, it's incredibly unsexy. It's, like, a gross, gross scene... And it's like, so this is what you have for her. And then, you know, to, to top it off, when they kind of do part ways, she ends up working in a coffee shop. He creates grunge. She uh, <laughs> starts Starbucks, apparently. <laughs> he does create grunge. He also creates rap metal. Uh, let's sidetrack for a second and have, uh, and, and have a taste of that. Is you want to just sing it like it's written? All right. I thought I was. Well, you weren't. All right. Sorry. Great. Theo, let's just do it from the top. Thanks. Before you say something, I'm going to write down the name of a new metal band on this piece of paper here, and it's written now. And so, what what do you think I have written down here? Head what? Planet Earth. Really? Disturbed? 
Yeah. Oh, that was going to be my first guess. That's, I was oh. expecting like a little cutaway to like, you know, like a, a Back to the Future reference with like a little little baby David Draymond with a, <laughs> with a, with a chin piercing in the corner just being like absorbing I, this. I psyched myself out there because Disturbs and was too obvious and I thought maybe you go for like the Headpan Earth deep cut there. Uh, very much enjoyed Sonic Architect David Tappy there losing his shit listening to that one. This is a scene in which Mark Wahlberg's character is frustrated about his lack of agency within the band and I think he's just trying to fuck around for a bit. I don't think he's actually seriously committed to the rap thing and I presume... He- he he shows up to the recording session and he's like, I've got it, guys. I've got the album. And like he has like a book of lyrics. And, you know, one of the things that is kind of mentioned earlier in the movie is like he kind of gets kicked out of the uh, blood pollution because they want to do their own stuff. They're like, oh, we got the we got the, the audience in now and then we want to play originals. And he's like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. So he clearly doesn't know how music is written. So he's just like, he shows up when he's like, I've got a full book of uh, words and, uh, it's very, you know, there you guys go, uh, <laughs> yes. make the album, please. It's very, it's very Kirk Van Houten. Yeah. Um, and so he shows up and does that. And then Dominic West is like, nah, man, me and AC, the drummer, who's, I think, it's Jason, Jason, Bonham, Jason Bonham. Yeah. Uh, he's like, we write the songs. Because Dominic West is basically like, you know, this is my thing. I'm leading the show here. So I, yeah, he kind of petulantly does the rap thing. Uh, which I guess, you know, presumably like an, an improv thing where it's like, we got Mark Wahlberg, you got to get a bit of rap in here. Um, but he's, yeah, like he very quickly, like, and again, it's it's not like, it, it, he doesn't like develop a heroin addiction. He doesn't like kill a guy. He doesn't, you know, cheat on his wife. Like, like it's, he buys the Batmobile. That's what he does. He buys Adam West. He buys West Adam Batmobile. West Batmobile, you know, which we all want. But it just turns out he gets bored of the excess. He feels like he's just a pawn in the, in, in the band. He's a cog in the machine. And it's not really working out for him. But uh, to go back to casting, is Dominic West good in this? Um, I think there's a little bit of a knowing wink to his performance. Um, I mean, it's it's a big performance uh, with some big hair. Yeah, he's fine. Uh, like, I think he kind of knows. He's one of the few ones that kind of seems to know the movies that he's in. Um, mm, yeah. He doesn't have a full heel, though. Like, like, like you, again, you keep, like, the film kind of just pulls back at every turn. You're waiting for, like, you know, a big thing, a big evil thing for him to do. And he just kind of doesn't. He's just a bit of a foil. Yeah, like, there's, there, there, are, there are no true villains in this. Even uh, Timothy Spall, the manager, who's kind of clearly a dirtbag. Um, With a heart of gold, he, though. Well, does he? Because he has, he has like a big speech to to Chris at the end of the movie. That when I read it, I was just like, "That's horrible." That story is like he's he's talking about how he left his wife, where he just basically like went to the bathroom and then just like never came back. Yeah, but he regretted it. Well, and he's, but he, and he's, and he's like, like, "Oh, she's okay now." Um, no, but he, I think he's like, he's like, and she moved on and married married with best. I wife. thought he was. I thought he was trying to justify no, the fact that when no, he did, no, 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 like, no. You, you, you've misread this moment. He, he's giving him a life lesson. He's basically like, you know, oh, I thought I was the shit, and I was, but it turns out actually she was amazing, and I miss her terribly, and she's moved on, and she's happy, and I'm not. Like that was the vibe I got from that. that hence the hard to go. He, oh, he's a bit of an enabling sleazebag, but also one hundred percent. Takes a shine to Mark Wahlberg and is trying to protect him. But, like, no, the, the vibe I got basically was he basically all but says, quit the band, go after your one, sort out your life, this isn't for you. That's kind of the, the, the tone I took. I got a totally different read on that. Wow, well, maybe there's something more complex than we think. One more character I want to touch on here, um, the actress Dagmara uh, Dominchik, who is currently seen in Succession, 
which has just finished its third season. She's part of the board or part of the, the Waystar Royco company. I believe she's their publicist, possibly. Uh, good actor, uh, Mrs. Patrick Wilson. And in this movie, she plays uh, the band's kind of PA. PR. It's PR person, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, yeah, not not. It's kind not, of never really explained. She's just she's no. allowed on the bus. She's uh, and she's always around. But she's the horniest character this side of Austin Powers, right? Yeah. So like, there's an early scene where she's the one who meets them off the plane from I'm assuming Pittsburgh or wherever they're from. Yeah, it's Pittsburgh, um, and brings them in the limo to the mansion, and is basically just trying to to kind of get a get a menage a trois going in the, in the limousine and it's just like this is intense but it, it's kind of I don't know are they just trying to make like this is LA baby this is rock and roll this is what like you know this is what you're in for for the rest of the movie um, but that is just her her note for the entirety of the film yeah she's just trying to fuck Mark Wahlberg and everyone who's on screen for the entire thing and again nothing comes of it nothing really leads to anything in this movie it's all just kind of dead ends um and Wahlberg's character does reach a dead end himself. He, he he doesn't want it anymore. His dream was not what he thought it would be. It was fun for a while, but he's going to get out. And how does he get out? In hilarious movie fashion where, you know, history kind of repeats itself to a degree. He's at a show and he's, you know, he's down. Like, he's not hitting the notes the way he usually does. He's not hitting the kind of the character beats, whatever. You can tell he's a bit, a bit tired of it all. And in the crowd, in the front row, is a young man dressed just like he is. And he's singing the songs just like he did. And he's outdoing them, as was the case. And Wahlberg invites the man on stage and passes the torch. And here's that. No one's ever tortured you. I love that weird kind of almost ending of heat-esque music there at the end, where it gets very serious. And so, yeah, he... Um, essentially just like it's all yours take the job and that's miles kennedy by the way uh singer of uh, alter bridge which was the successor to what band higgs i don't know really <laughs> the form the former members of a certain post grunge band um, went on to form alter bridge no i'm, I'm completely at a loss a, here a band that traded in some divinity you could say for a while no 
Oh, David Toffley wants to answer. <laughs> Toffley, do you know? He's typing into the group. Creed. You know? It's Creed, everybody. Toffley oh did gosh. know. That's right. Alterbridge succeeded Creed. Miles Candy also plays, I think, with Slash and that kind of stuff. And he's a very versatile metal vocalist. Very famous man uh, in that in that circle. And shines here in a, in a very brief role as Thor. Uh, a very homoerotic scene between the two lads there. I was like, they're definitely going to kiss. It's it, it, a it, very homoerotic movie. <laughs> it sure is. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, would this work? The band don't seem to have a problem with this. They just keep on playing. Timothy Spall's like, get out of here, mate. And like, this new guy is just a new member. No paperwork needed. It's done. Yeah, I mean, they seem... In the middle of a fucking gig. I'm sorry, this is grossly unprofessional. (laughs) If you were a fan, what would you think? I mean, you'd be be going for your money back, wouldn't you? He's good, though. He is good. I don't know. He's he's probably better than uh, Izzy, so you're like, well... So everyone gets what they want. Wahlberg goes back, meets up with with Jennifer Aniston, but more importantly, uh, so he's invented cosplay, he's created rap metal, and as Higgs mentioned earlier on, Wahlberg's character is so damn talented that he invents grunge, it cuts to a sequence where Wahlberg's got shorter hair now, and he's walking around what looks like the streets of Seattle, you know, in just kind of like the style of the time in the early 90s, as I presume it's meant to be, and it's soundtracked to him playing a brand new song in a brand new style with Timothy Oliphant by his side, who has a fucking soul patch and a very, like, kind of, I don't know, almost Chris Gaines-esque kind of haircut going along. And uh, it sounds a bit like this. I just think one day I realized it wasn't for me anymore. You know? I was wearing the clothes and singing the songs. It just didn't feel right. I just wanted to find myself find my own music. The show is over, close the storybook. There will be no encore. And all the random hands that I have shook, well, they're reaching for the door. I watch the faxes, they leave single file But you stood stubborn, cheering all the while And I know I can be colorful What's up? Long time I know I can be <laughs> But I know this loser's living fortunate I know you will love me either way. So, Tapley asked me there with that stuff from the pilots. It's actually a band called The Verve Pipe, and the song is called Colorful. I don't. I think it pre-existed this film, possibly. I don't think it was written for it. Maybe it was. I'm not entirely sure. But um, I had to let it build all the way up there to that kind of kick in there, because as soon as that kick in happens, I just think about Echo Brain, that Jason Newstead post-Metallica band, <laughs> uh, whose album, of course, I did buy back in the day. And I was like, this is class. And probably listen to it twice. Um, and yeah, so Wahlberg finds that, in fact, cutting it down, going to a coffee shop with like almost no one in it or some kind of weird, you know, grunge club, playing alongside his mate, his best girl shows up, all is well in the world. And yes, in fact, that is where the name No Encore came from. No, it isn't. Not at all. Uh, sorry. Uh, it was a wonderful, happy coincidence. And uh, yeah, everyone learns a lesson, Higgs. What lessons did you learn? Well, just, just to come back to that, I'm kind of curious. So 
did did uh, did Izzy kind of start this movie like idolizing hair metal and kind of glam rock, and then you know it's been said that the kind of the wave of grunge essentially killed that genre. So do you go from like idolizing it and in the end destroyed what he once loved? I mean, this movie may have depths that we just hadn't even considered. Yeah, he couldn't take it. He he couldn't handle how well Steel Dragon were doing without him. Also, um, just one quick one. How long was he in Steel Dragon? Because the way that this movie goes at a clip, it feels like he was in the band for three weeks. Yeah, I guess the implication is a couple of years, but that's it's very unclear. It seems like he just plays a couple of gigs and, you know... The, I know the, the, yeah. the, the rise and fall thing happens so quickly that there's... Stephen Herrick is not really known for his sense of scale, is he? Or his his, geog- his geography of storytelling, but... Yeah, uh, there is that. I suppose it does have like one of those brief kind of montages where there's a couple of... I think Metal God uh, magazine uh, covers where, where Steel Dragon pop up, so I guess that did show a bit of a passing of time. But yeah, the the you, you said kind of earlier that what's this, like it's 100 minutes. It feels quick though just the pacing is like absolutely all over the place because like once he joins the band like he's kind of out of the band in about 20 minutes um it all happens very quickly um but yeah any final thoughts yourself i actually had to take it down over two nights because i I watched it (laughs) i watched it on a night when i was like i think i was really hung over and just tired and i was like it's a lot yeah, I, I I I came home from Drada a couple of days there, and I was just like sitting here with the pizza, and I was like, you know what, I'm wrecked. I was like, I'll I'll deal with the second forty five minutes of this tomorrow, I suppose. <laughs> so in that regard, it was quite the epic. It didn't feel like one hundred and five minutes. It felt like two days of my life to a degree, um, and a bit of a commitment. Um, I guess the crucial question here is: I gave this two stars out of five. I mean, I can appreciate its kind of fun oddity. I'm kind of glad it exists, but I couldn't call it a very good film. Where do you stand on the quality front? Yeah, it's a two. It's a two for me as well. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's a really bizarre movie. I still stand by that. Like there was lots of people trying to make a comedy, while others were kind of trying to make something a bit more honest and candid. Um, I think if it had leaned into the the rock, uh, sorry, the, the comedy elements, it actually could have been pretty good. Um, like there's there's moments in it um, that kind of remind me of Walk Hard, which is no bigger compliment I could give, but I don't think that they were intentionally like that. Um, maybe Walk Hard looked at this and was like, yeah, we'll, we'll have that. Um, but yeah, uh, two stars. Not, not a recommend at all. <laughs> yeah i mean it's funny because like you mentioned earlier on the you mentioned a few times like the youtube comments and how you were almost like shocked to find this kind of weird adulation but that's what youtube comments are man like this is my favorite corner of the internet and sure enough i had i, I like when i was cutting the clips for this i always scroll down and sure enough the first two three four five six seven eight nine ten they're all just like this film is so underrated. Like, me and my dad watch it every every week together. And I'm like, what is that house like? Or just people who are just like, this got me through some tough times. Or like, you know, Wahlberg's amazing. Like, what a brilliant movie. I want a sequel. Like, I mean, like there is an earnest uh, fan base out there for this thing. Um, I did okay at the box office, I suppose. Did it? Or Was this not a bomb? Was it a bomb? I think it made 20 mil- 20, $19 million, I believe. Pre- presumably on, on, a, on, a, on a $57 million budget. <laughs> okay, I mean, it's it, a flop. W- one thing to say about it is that like, it is a big movie. You know, like you're, you're, you're going big arena shows, extras, like there's money on screen. It's not, it's not scrimping on that. And like, it does have a scale to it that is impressive, but um, was not reflected 
at the receipts. It's got better concert scenes than Bohemian Rhapsody. I think we can probably agree. We'll give it that, yeah, 100%. It's better than Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean... Yeah, it is. You know, so is getting pushed in, in, in the, the face. power rankings of the YouTube comments. It's probably almost famous. Then this, then Bohemian Rhapsody. If we're <laughs> the the only three movies that apparently exist to uh, the uh, the commenters of the Rockstar YouTube community. That was Rockstar, everybody from two thousand one. Not a recommend, but I I I, I kind of would be like, look, if you've nothing better to do, I mean, because it's just such a weird curio. Find something better to do. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to some Steel Dragon tunes. Uh, next time on on the popcorn, I guess we'll be doing our twenty twenty one review of the year, right? Um, hopefully, we'll get that done and dusted in time for the first week of January. I, I don't know who knows. I mean, like, it'll be. I'd say it'll be in January as opposed to because we are recording this close to Christmas now. Yeah, one one thing I'll note is that um, most people kind of get their get their lists out like early doors in December, but. I don't know about you. I've certainly had my uh, press screening privileges revoked, so it's, I'm not seeing any of these movies like in advance. So kind of going day of, and after Christmas, we've got a couple of big hitters. Uh, we've got Licorice Pizza's Licorice Pizza's out on the 27th. So is Macbeth. I think for like two years straight on the previous end of year shows, they've been like my most anticipated movies. So <laughs> I would like to see them before declaring anything else yeah the I mean, film like, of the you're, year you're doing the Cahir du Cinema thing there are you where they were like we will not publish your end of your list until we see The Matrix Resurrections which of course drops on the 22nd so yeah there actually is quite a like, like a big end of year traffic jam that we want to get to and there's still some stuff to, to catch up on so yeah we'll take we'll take a few weeks I think before we get to the the year roundup and we'll do it much like last year there'll be categories and awards and that kind of stuff and we'll go through the year that was uh, Rockstar unlikely to be mentioned on the show ever again but you know I'm glad that we did this. I'm glad that we took the time to pay tribute to Mark Wahlberg's big hair metal romp that is Rockstar. Dave Higgins, I thank you so much. David Tapley, our Sonic Architect, I thank you so much as well. And listener, I thank you as well for tuning in to yet another episode of No Popcorn. Tell your friends all about it and No Encore. It's patreon.com slash noencore if you'd like to support the show. And of course, enjoy our end of year episodes there as well. It was a big year for the podcast and thank you so much for listening to every single episode as I'm sure you did. And now to play us out, bit of Steel Dragon. See ya. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.